What's up everybody, this is Grant at Cause Artist. Today we chat with Prashant Mehta, the founder and CEO of Conscious Step. Um, I did this interview in person at their uh, offices in Brooklyn when I was there uh, a couple weeks ago. And I've been following Conscious Step for a while, ever since they started in 2013. They actually started <clears throat> right around the same time as, as Cause Artist did. So it's been great to see their maturation and what they have accomplished. Um, the conversation goes deep in, in, into detail about uh, what they have accomplished so far, um, what sort of hurdles they faced over the last five or so years, um, and how they grew the company to you know to have over a million dollars in revenue. Um, so it's a, it's a really great conversation about how um, socks can be used for good. So the idea of Conscious Step is that they sell socks and and donate a percentage of each uh, particular pair to a particular cause. Um, so if you buy the socks that that are have trees on them or something like that, usually they go to uh, protect the rainforest. If you buy the ones that uh, are partnered with a, a food nonprofit, meals will be provided. Um, so, the, so they do special runs with particular nonprofits to to combat a certain cause. And uh, to date, they have provided over fifty eight thousand meals, thirty seven thousand books. 605,000 months of clean water, almost 300,000 trees planted. So they are, are doing some, some pretty great things all by just providing the consumer the opportunity to shop better. They have uh, completed a sustainable supply chain. So they use all fair, they're fair trade certified. They use organic materials. Um, so they're really, really trying to be at the forefront of, of how to create um, a sock company and apparel company sustainably. It was a great time to talk to them. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, and I'll see you next week. Thanks. All right, so the first thing I like to start with is just uh, tell people a little bit about your journey of, of how you got uh, to co-found Conscious Step and what Conscious Step is and its sort of overall vision. Nice. Yeah, thanks for having me, Grant. Um, Journey is a little funny. After I, I moved to after I finished college, I moved to Sydney, Australia, um, just as more of a fresh start. I think what I wanted was to, I was a finance background, and what I wanted to do is get out of my comfort zone. The thought process at the age of twenty two was if I'm going to work a miserable finance job for twelve to fourteen <laughs> hours a week, I might as well go somewhere where I'm happier. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the the New York mentality that I was signing up for after college, I wasn't mentally ready for. I felt yeah. like I was just signing my life away mm-hmm. slowly and to get into more senior, senior positions, yep. pay off my debt and kind of start my life that way. And moving to Australia was really great because it allowed me to get out of my comfort zone and see life with a different perspective as opposed to previously working at Fidelity Investments doing risk management mm-hmm. and more Fun, uh, you know, fighting the day-to-day grind like a lot of people. So at Fidelity, I you know, did a lot of credit risk management, um, just protecting, yep. um, you know, portfolios, making sure they don't um, um, go too high in the risk portfolio, essentially, yep. for the company. And then moving to Australia, you know, um, the more I got into finance, the more it almost scared me a little bit. I felt like having this degree was valuable from a high-level perspective where I was able to see things, understand business, understand how, you know, what a company needed to operate, essentially, and frankly, not even understand being 22 and not having real experience. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, getting to Australia, I started to do a lot of microfinance work. I started Mm -hmm. to learn about microfinance, and a lot of pieces in my life made a lot more sense. Um, it was more that it was so interesting to me that there was this huge market of opportunity with 
you know, such high risk involved naturally, but these people often had chicken farms. They had mm-hmm. ways to just support income that if you just put money or support into, you were helping not only people raise money and probably f- like make a hefty interest rate yourself, but you were making a difference in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And the more my mind kind of started to wander in that direction, it kind of uh, pieced out with my personality a little bit. So what I saw happening was, at a young age, I used to buy a lot of Nikes. I was really obsessed, sure. as you might have just seen in my office, yep. that I really like 90s Nikes. <laughs> and the perception to me was something I wanted to create with charity. I, I felt that charity was associated with lower quality products and that stigma needed to be reversed. I felt that you know people would just associate something cheap with charity when they bought it 10 years ago. 100%. And I wanted to make it like Nike. I wanted to be like, hey, I bought a really premium quality item that supported Matt Damon, that made a difference in the world, and that Matt Damon was actually, instead of supporting the way Kevin Durant liked Nike, he was trying to raise money for water.org through Conscious Step. Right. So that was kind of the psychology of what came about before we launched Conscious Step. And frankly, just personal values. From a young age, my mom always made me feel like charity was a personal burden. She made me, you know, with my allowance, always give back, Mm -hmm. always volunteer, always kind of be out there and understand issues to give me perspective that, hey, I was very lucky in life. Even if I didn't have money to pay for the things I wanted or buy the shit I wanted, I had the opportunity to be somebody in this world. And just kind of having that mentality and feeling like, hey, this is my problem, even though yeah. I got handed it, like our whole generation often feels like, what are we supposed to do about, you know, the older generation that ruined us with global warming, oil issues, all this stuff. Yeah. But frank, frankly, it's our problem. Yeah, like, for the sure. End of the day, and we have two choices we can blame or we can accept and try to move yeah. forward. And that's really been my journey and mission since that time about 10 years ago, just trying to get bigger nonprofits, expand the brand, brand and uh, really fight for an amazing vision. So why, why socks? <laughs> yeah, interesting, you know, at the time, for me it was more a medium for positive energy. It was how can I associate myself with the greater good without having to change my day-to-day habits? And the one item I felt on your, on your outfit at the time, especially not knowing about Tom's Happy Socks and some of the brands that have started to trend upwards over the past 10 years, it, it felt like there was no brand loyalty in socks. Yeah. We had a favorite sock company. Great and if they did, it didn't really mean anything to them in the sense where that was, that was ours to take. Everyone has a cause that has affected their life. And if you can bring that into your day-to-day habits and you mm-hmm. know, associate without asking people for money, without guilting them, but you know, just showing them that, hey, this is a sock. It supports HIV. It prevents mm-hmm. uh, mother-to-children transmission. You and AIDS is fighting. <laughs> Now you are consciously aware that this issue exists in the world that you might not have even known about. Two, you're aware that it matters to me. And three, I'm not asking you for anything. I'm just giving you something that you can actually use that is actually a premium product and makes your life better. So that was kind of just like make it it part of society as opposed to an awkward conversation or unacceptable. So what what the business model is... I buy a pair of socks and a percentage of that goes to the certain cause of what that sort of socks represents. So can you just give us a, like a tangible example? Sure, yes. Yeah. So for example, when we started, we uh, were on a mission to plant trees as we still are. Yeah. So we work with Trees for the Future and each pair plants 20 trees in Uganda, 
Ghana or where they're working across the world at the moment. So we pick a project and we try to support and then do trees for the future. If you choose to do a little more due diligence, you just learn that not only did you plant trees, you supported farmers in their work to you know, create a sustainable living for themselves, which goes a lot further when they're trying to. For What we were learning when they came by last week is they go 18 months Every 18 months, they get their payday, essentially, from the crop they've grown. Mm-hmm. Now, they've made Trees for the Future has come in and made it more sustainable, where they're selling different crops all year to actually make money and, you know, Interesting. sustainable. And just learning about that and what trees actually do for the world, apart from stabilizing our climate, was pretty amazing. And there's also a ton of other subject matters, right? You got socks for water, socks yes. for the environment, there's socks for HIV. I mean, yeah. there's there's so many problems, right? Does Is it... Is it based on maybe like uh, the sustainable development goals? Is that sort of yeah, the outline framework? Yeah, um, we're actually launching Habitat for Humanity for Housing in uh, this December. But the whole framework's really started around sustainable development goals, which are the MDGs when we started, yep. the Millennium Development Goals. And it's more just a, a learning process, right? We don't consider ourselves the experts in charity. Yeah. We consider the United Nations structure for the problems in the world a pretty good structure to you know yeah. relate back to. But we consider a lot of these leading nonprofits doing an amazing job. We're just needing more awareness and resources. Mm-hmm. When so, it's always tough for for social entrepreneurs because they have to really have a sustainable business model, but then they also have a really solid give back model. You know, so consumers can trust them that. You know, everything they're saying they're actually doing yeah <laughs> right so what has early on what has so we were talking a bit a little bit earlier about you know sales early on we're trying to find our groove so to speak right and then now you've kind of finally hit a good place going from twenty thousand sales to over a million now so what was that progress like and what do you think sort of enabled that what, what has worked well for you guys yeah, great question. You know, I'd say there's a lot of X factors. I think the one and the most important one with any aspect to life is who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. I think you're just as strong as your network and the more you're able to communicate, um, rely on other people and frankly put them in a position where they enjoy working together as mm-hmm. opposed to feeling like they're just working for the man yeah. is everything, right? We're all human at the end of the day and we all have goals and dreams in life. So kind of connecting yours to those around you is really fulfilling. Yeah. I think what's even better is just Having an authentic brand and an authentic mission allows you to meet organic, authentic people across nonprofits who have yeah. great networks, across different um, retail avenues, across different corporates. We've done custom products for like LinkedIn through the years, things like that have really, and they're using it to raise awareness for malaria no more. Gotcha. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's really just um, been a very organic journey with a strong belief in our mission and our values. And even as more competition chooses to enter the market, you know, we're really always trying to reinvent ourselves, be different, and frankly, we're challenging more people to go the organic and sustainable route because as more and more people enter thinking we have a simple model, once they actually put themselves in the sustainable route, they're not really competing with us. They're producing from China thinking they're doing the of same course. thing. Yeah, and it's, it's not they're not doing anybody any favors. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's part of the education too, is when people enter the realm, you know. The definition of what it means to be sustainable can mean different things to different Very people, so, right? Yeah. So, and, and a big part of global warming and our environmental struggles are really, frankly, based around the fashion industry, yeah. right? I mean, it's one, it's one of the largest pollutants in the world, right behind oil, Yeah, right? But you don't see, yeah, but you don't see people walking around with, like Chevron hats or Exxon hats on as like some type of fashion thing, right? Yeah. But it has been a, a big detriment to 
to our to our environment because consumption is so high people produce on a mass scale right and these every season right is fashion is spring summer fall like there's buy 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 produce 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 then all the shit ends up in the ocean right because a lot of it is not premium product right it's just basic shit yeah i mean it's people subjective. just yeah exactly so it's so what are you guys trying to do maybe to combat and look at the manufacturing and the production process and make that part better because that's sort of the next step we have to take as manufacturers right and, and yeah. fashion producers yeah it's really great you asked that question i think um you know for us it's been it's been an interesting journey with sustainability right because it's been uh you, you learn and apply yeah and as a finance graduate i didn't get a background in sustainability it was just something that i was extremely passionate about and it happened pretty naturally as i learned and I try my best to apply. And what's been amazing is the often the process of trying to be sustainable allows you to ask the right questions and get the right certifications mm -hmm. when they're doing the due diligence for you. So, you know, for example, fair trade will inspect your entire supply chain to make sure there's no underage workers and everyone's receiving at least a yep. minimum to fair salary. Um, vegan will inspect your entire supply chain to make sure that even the cleaning supplies we're using don't harm animals in any way before we use their logo. Yeah. Um, as we get the GOTS logo this year, they're going to inspect our entire supply chain to make sure everything is organic. As we get the SEDEX logo, they're going to inspect our entire supply chain to make sure we use no toxic dyeing. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is step one. Yeah. Because... I can go do it, but someone might, you know, play a funny game. But SEDEX has the processes in place mm -hmm. that they know that this process, you know, works. That we're not using non non, excuse me, non toxic dyes. We're yep. not using. Um, we're using organic cotton. We're using fair trade working conditions. So step one is really just partnering with the right people who have the processes in place yep. to ensure you're doing right. You know, step two is really. Um, I think it's starting to take place now more than ever where we're completely eliminating plastic consumption from our entire supply chain and taking mm -hmm. it to the next level of asking yourself like, you know, is this recycled polyester or mm -hmm. can it be, right. is, is this completely organic cotton, can we use lycra instead of spandex, can we, use, can we not use nylon in this product because anything that's plastic based has become, I think what's been most disturbing to me over the past 10 years is learning how normal plastic is in our society. Like how polyester is presented as a you know part of your fabric and it's anti-sweat material, but yeah. you're wearing plastic. You right. Know, you can you can spin it as many ways sure. as you want, but the reason that that water doesn't stay on you is because just like yeah. the water bottle doesn't plastic doesn't stick to it. Sure. You know, our water doesn't stick to plastic, and you know for me I think organically the more we can raise awareness for it, this conscious step exists to raise awareness sure. for the cause. Then you, people can be part of the solution. They can understand. Maybe I don't want to consume as much polyester in my day-to-day yeah. -day fabrics. Hey, this sock that I'm buying is actually made out of 95% polyester. What does a 95% polyester supply chain look like? It's not, <laughs> it's not that pretty. It's frankly a screen-printed product onto plastic. Yeah. You know, and if the consumer actually knew what they were buying and paying for, that would change everything. Oh, yeah, for, 100%. Just seeing it sometimes changes <laughs> you as a person. And when you see, like, uh, some of the videos with slave trade back mm -hmm. in the day with... Yep. Uh, you know, uh, product consumption and things like that. A lot of this stuff has become norm, and I think it's on us to reverse some of these norms and kind of better educate ourselves to do that because you can't change a norm until you understand what's happening. Yeah, I, uh, when we were walking in your, your office, we saw the, the Phil Knight book, right? Yeah. Nike, and it, it's, it's always a struggle with me because, you know, you've always loved sort of Nike as a brand, but, you know, 
they became a billion dollar company because they, you know, exported workers and found cheap labor and had massive margins on, on shoes, right? Yeah. And, and didn't have ethical supply chains. And, you know, they, you know, a lot of these big, big time manufacturers are kind of the cause of a lot of this stuff. And, and look, I mean, we can, we yeah. can blame stuff. We can blame ourselves too for buying it and stuff like that, right? But now I think both as a consumer and the manufacturer have become more educated about what stuff does. We have to change the consumers about what we buy. And if these, you know, brands and stuff don't change either, like, I really do think consumers are gonna buy less and less of their, their stuff if they don't change, right? So, you know, it, there's there's a lot of different dynamics going on. Yeah, it's like that knowledge is power stuff. Like, why would I buy this once I know? Yeah, once I know, right? It's it's And it's about convenience too, because you can, yeah, buy nuggets from everywhere, right? Where you can't walk and buy conscious step socks from, you know, everywhere yet, you know? <laughs> um, but the one thing that I find really fascinating now with sort of um, product brands is that you see more and more making them out of materials that are that are sort of upcycled, right? Or this renaissance of actually taking plastic out the ocean, taking water bottles, and creating fabric from that. Have you guys looked into that at all? Is it, is it an event, eventually create creating socks with you know recycled plastic water bottles and other recycled materials that you can you can turn into fabric? Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of the learning supply chain is to really just not have a carbon or environmental footprint. Mm-hmm. So giving people the opportunity in the coming years to make sure that you know if they want to send back their products, recycle them, change that there's an avenues to do that. And I think it's. You know, it's a it's a learn and learn and apply process more than anything because a lot of people have this stuff in place and it's very good yeah. to learn and apply. Um, but from a from a fabric and competition standpoint, I think our, our number one focus when starting the brand was to create the most premium product mm. and sustainably gotcha. as sustainably as possible. Yeah. Um, that was how we were going to differentiate ourselves more than anything. You know, once people wore the product, they were going to be like, "Hey, this breathes better. This is organic. This doesn't smell because you're not using toxic dyeing." And I didn't know a simple sock could actually have you know, there's many positive features to it. And, you know, as we've expanded and now, and as you get more resources, because what's funny to me is year one, you have three partners, you have a very limited supply chain, you have a very small budget. And year mm-hmm. four, as you were talking about, as you grow, you get more resources to learn and apply and make mistakes and succeed at the same time. Yeah. And when you have those opportunities to kind of gamble on yourself and say, hey, I want to make a recycled product, um, it's probably a twenty to $50,000 minimal investment to try, learn, and get that product correct Great point. for scale. And at, at the early stages, no matter how passionate you are about it, you might not have the resources, mm-hmm. or you might just burn out all your resources with a you know, linear vision. And I think just trying to keep that open-minded approach where, hey, there's this line that's working, how can we improve this? And then there's the development side of the business where, hey, we need to reinvent, we need to be more sustainable, we need to find ways to use tensile fabrics that um, don't harm the environment as much and make them more mainstream. And I think that there's two sides to it because as a small business, it's always like, hey, we want to develop, we want to improve. Yeah. This can always be perfected. Yeah. We're always so in our own head with it. And then we're like, hey, we're not making any money. Right yeah, now. we actually so have to sell it. Yeah. Put this aside for a few more minutes. <laughs> and, and I think uh, a lot of small business owners probably go through that jump here and there where they're so passionate about a project they're working towards or a vision or a mission. But then there's their investors or the people around them who are like, the, the vision is to pay. The vision is almost always bigger than the budget. <laughs> and that, that there's, there's always that dilemma of, okay, what, what can we actually choose to do? 
Yeah. You know, that's a big part of looking at all the things you want to do, but then narrowing it down to, okay, what's realistic that we can look at right now and invest a little bit in and, and succeed at? And you find that, I mean, look, from one from year one, like you said, to year four, I'm sure your processes have become much more streamlined. I'm sure the mistakes that you've made are, are you're making them less and less again, <laughs> you know? So it's, 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 you know, from year four to year eight, you know, you can only imagine the leaps that you'll make from a business point of view, but also from, like you said, a technology point of view, a fabric point of view to where the cost of producing, you know, a pair of socks with, you know, recycled water bottle materials might be at a point where, okay, this is, this is something we can actually do now at somewhat of a scale. Definitely. Yeah, development is always more feasible when you have more resources. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, if you, no matter how big your vision is, um, even four years ago, no matter how good a product was, if I spent all my time developing this product and not selling, you know, getting a better supply chain, improving the warehouse systems, things like that, five years later, I don't know if we'd still be here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful because as you get more resources, um, if you're aligned with your vision, you're inspired to use them to just make it better always. And that's really it more than anything, you know. I think um, it gives you the opportunity to just keep improving. And mm-hmm. I think that's all we really want, you know, as you, as you go through this journey. Um, it's, you just want to create something, like, better than you thought you could create over and over and over again for the customer. So their experience is, you know, uncomparable to anything else. A big part of, obviously, which, what you guys do is, is support you know, selected nonprofits, right? And partner with nonprofits. And so how, how does that work? Do nonprofits maybe reach out to you? Do you reach out to selected ones and say, hey, we kind of have a, we have a really cool sock idea. You know, we'd like to support you guys. Would you guys be interested? Walk through that process because I think a lot of businesses struggle to partner with nonprofits, right? Because, you know, maybe they don't have, like, maybe they don't have, they don't not talk to the right person or maybe they don't have the right, the right idea or the infrastructure set up to do so. Um, so what has that process been like to get nonprofit partners? Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's been pretty pretty interesting, you know. I think uh, for, the, for the most part what I've seen in a typical business model is it's usually either like a Tom's model nowadays where someone comes out with a one-for-one yep. style or they pick a nonprofit and a single cause and really resonate their entire business model towards that one yep. cause. And I actually think that works really well because, you know, you're able to better clarify your intent. You're able to really, you know, illustrate the story, the, vision, the yeah. story, exactly. Um, for us, you know, my mission or my vision was always like... Make it's much feel, harder to do what you guys are doing. Yeah, make, make it feel something through a creative story that you can't really, like, we, we design a product for oceans. Literally, the product is designed to make you feel like mm-hmm. it's affiliated with the oceans. Yeah, right. Then we pick a nonprofit that's making a scale difference at the ocean, and we tell them that we want to use our brand to, to raise as much money and awareness. And then they sometimes have their restrictions or limitations, which based on you know, the size of your business, things like that are going to be very relevant, you know. Yeah. No nonprofit wants to give you all their resources if you're going to give them 50 bucks at the end of the year. Sure. But, you know, depending on the size and the opportunity for them, I think nowadays it's become a little more typical where they're looking for unique ways to get their mission, etc. The interesting thing for me, it's already going a little bit of a tangent, but there's so many nonprofits that compete with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I've Good always point. found, like, a, you know, an interesting gap where... You know, some people are literally like in more than one area 
of nonprofit work, whether it be with the world literacy and gender equality or something like mm-hmm. that. And there's, there's, there's this internal competition for funds that's, you know, almost made the nonprofit space a little, I don't have the right choice of words, but you want to be able to, you know, not have to decide who to give your water money to. Yeah, charity you know, water or water. I believe that they're yeah. like all on the same yeah. page working together and that, you know, your intent is really not being, you know, ciphered up essentially because yeah. there's so no, many I different understand. options. And I think that's what's made it. So just finding someone I think you feel organically resonates with you mm-hmm. content-wise, team-wise, and really just getting that vibe and energy that, hey, this person is someone I really believe who is really in this for you know strong and good purpose and to make positive change in this world is more gut feeling than anything. Interesting. It's something that I think everyone has a cause and the more you can organically resonate with your cause, the more customers feel that it's organic, right? If, if I'm uh, really passionate about the oceans because um, we're seeing sea animals die, plastic, sure. things like that, and I'm able to you know, resonate with my audience, you're going to believe that I'm making change in the ocean more than me just making false promises or things on a general statement level. From year one or year four, do you think it, it's been more difficult, less difficult to get nonprofit partners. I imagine it would be more difficult when you're just starting out. Much more difficult. Right. It's like, hey, I got this idea in this company. Yeah. Like, would you partner with us? Has it gotten easier as, as you guys have grown as nonprofits, you know, trusted you a bit more and say, hey, this is this is something we should do? Yeah, now we're now it's kind of the opposite. We're not actually adding any more nonprofits. Anyway, so it's uh, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's definitely gotten easier. Nonprofits do reach out for us, hoping for yeah. you know extra resources and the opportunity. And we do our best to help. You know, we're, we're honestly that's really our full intention as a business. It's how can we help these nonprofits grow and exist? And we just are more passionate about a for-profit business model because you can reinvest in yourself without being dependent on donors, things like that, that mm-hmm. are sometimes out of your control. So just as a business school graduate, I've always felt that, hey, you know, you can really reinvest in marketing, advertising, things that you need for mm-hmm. people to see and, you know, engage with your brand at scale. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that's really been the thought process originally. What's, uh, do you guys do kind of like craft beer, right? Or kind of do special edition stuff and they only have it is that something that I live for that yeah (laughs) Yeah, so we've done like a few uh, custom collections I I mentioned LinkedIn previously 10,000 Villages is one of our scale accounts we love them so they uh, every year get a new custom design for one of their non-profits that's cool Um, yeah and even with our current partners we refresh and change designs usually annually okay so if you're buying a water sock it might not be there next year so if you like it yeah always you'll get a few of them to complement your collection what's um when when people want to get into this because i think more and more people are are gravitating to look if i'm going to start a company a brand i really want to do something more than just you know buy a product from China, sell for really high margins, you know, and have a good design on it and it'll sell, right? That stuff has worked in the past. I mean, $100 million companies have built built off just cheap products, high margins, really good branding. That's That's sort of been the model, right? It's the past 40 years. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, yeah, Yeah. basically what, what, what it's been. And now I think as more and more people look at, it's easier to build an online business, right? Anybody can get, a Shopify account, hook it up to MailChimp, and kind of have a company pretty quickly, right? But I think 
more and more people want to do good. They want to they want to find a way to their life's work, whether it be with a company, to actually really do something impactful. So what what would you any tips or, or knowledge that you could you would give people just from your experience that might help them take that leap and say, you know what, let's let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you said, I think it's a I think it's a little funny because my advice would be a little ironic to that. I think my advice would be more on the collaborative side than the individual side. Um, often I think in our own heads and our own biases without getting the right feedback, we tend to dive into a deep hole and feel like we're on a journey against the world. Yeah. And, you know, that can be very unhealthy at times because at the end of the day, collaboration, feedback, and opportunity, you as one person can only accomplish so much in a given day. No sure. matter how motivated you are, you only get X amount of hours if you're living a healthy lifestyle at least. And that sort of collaboration, one, opens your mind up with perspective to see someone else's view and hopefully someone you mentor or trust along. And I think, one, you always need that. Yeah, because you can only get as far as, you know, how, how uh, open your mind is, frankly. Two is just, you're not getting anywhere in this world. It's, 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 a, it's a scary place, for lack of better words, when you're fighting against happy sock stance and, you know, some of these yeah. conglomerates that will literally sure. just copy my business model or do, like, you know, a unique thing just to, yep. you know, just because they can, because they have the resources, like yep. we talked about. But sometimes when you're having those days and when you feel like it's you against the world, having a, a medium of support, I think, is really important to bounce back up on these. And someone to challenge you to do more. You know, essentially, like, it's like going to the gym. Like, how, mm. how, how much can you push yourself? Have a spotter, huh? But when you have a trainer or a spotter, like you said, you're able to see yourself at the next level. You're able to push yourself a little bit more out of your comfort zone. And I think for a lot of people, it's not so much like, hey, let me start this business idea. It's more, let me get out of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. talk to people, build mm-hmm. a network, and get help. Get genuine people who make me move towards being my best self. Not so much getting this business across, but what am I working towards for me and how does that relate to my business? Because you have to be able to see the best version of yourself and how it fits into your business if you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not just doing this to be a business and then burn yourself out at the same time right. so hopefully one day you might make a million dollars or whatever the goal right. is. You really want to see like, hey, this is life, this is my goals as a person, this is where I'd like to see myself develop. Yes, finance is a part of that. Yes, your personal, you know, health and balance and your relationships all matter. And then how does that fit into your business? What are you trying to accomplish? But if you're one of those people who's just going into a business just to make hard money, you'll, you'll get your wake up one way or the other. Yeah, you know? sure. But if you're like, honestly, this has never felt like a day of work for me. I mean, I'd probably do this for free if I could just to design socks for leading nonprofits. Because it's awesome. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> just like seeing how I would describe like these original model and what they do. It doesn't really feel like work for me. If you can get to that point in life, it gets real easy, ironically. Even if it's not perceptionally easy with your goals, the weight slowly gets off to your shoulders as you trust yourself more, I think, by balancing those two areas and getting the right support. Who has been your mentors throughout throughout this process or even before you started it? Quite a few. I think um, I've been lucky to have a very close relationship with my family who's been very supportive. So just get, giving me that support to move to the other side of the world with knowing wow. nobody yeah. in Australia. Right. You know, even having no money in my bank account at the age of 22 a few times. Um, that blind support. Um, my brother's been a huge part of our business too. He works at LinkedIn, so giving us the resources of you know the world's biggest link, uh, social network yeah. has been uh, invaluable. And just always being there to push 
um, instead of accepting that, hey, this could, this can always be done better kind of mentality as opposed to, even from a young age as a basketball player, you, know, you get out of the game and you're like, well, I just scored 20 points. It's like, well, you could have done this better. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I always right, feel right. in that conversation, but you need that. What a buzzkill, huh? <laughs> exactly, what a buzzkill. <laughs> um, but, you know, mentors, you know, really, I'd say, like, the number one person that I'd like to learn and read from more organically is Deepak Chopra. I think okay. just reading his books has made it feels so easy in the sense where I'm able to trust my own judgment and my sense of direction. Because the, the honest mentality is like, you can stress yourself out so much and as an entrepreneur, we all probably burn ourselves out over and over. Mm-hmm. But at some point, if you just trust your own instincts, judgment, and you know your day-to-day habits that you're doing the most you can out of each day, it's really not that stressful anymore. You know, you, yeah. really start to just, you really need to get to that point where you're just like, hey, I'm moving, you know, some days it doesn't feel like you're moving as an entrepreneur, but, but that, I think, as ironic, because it's, it's less motivating, like, you know, I'm watching always the Gary Vee videos and stuff like that, that's supposed to get you yeah. going, but it, his opposite mentality is almost like, relax a bit more, trust yourself, yeah. be a bit more practical, yeah. be a bit more spiritual, practice meditation, yoga, things that will actually keep your mind refined and your health in a, you know, marathon type mentality yeah. instead of a full out sprint. He could be a little too motivating. It's it's a weird yeah, thing. About, you pick yeah, you got you got to pick and chew like all the stuff he talks about. It's like man, all these things are are really right, but not a lot of people have you know ten people on staff to be able to do all these different things, right? So you think you just got to pick and choose the nuggets of like, okay, what can I take from this that I can actually implement rather than trying to do everything it's he's doing. Anxiety is contagious, so I feel like if you're coming into the office anxious, trying to do too much, trying yeah. to overwork everyone. It's a contagious effect, right? Yeah. It's like my mm-hmm. life, like this yeah. is really, this yeah, is really yeah. tiring. Yeah. You know, so I think uh, just having that sort of relaxed mentality, that trust in yourself and the people around you, being a little um, more like, hey, this is a fair amount to accomplish today. I'd be really proud if this got done well. Yeah. Kind of attitude takes the weight off. Well, it doesn't have to be that stressful, you know. One of the last questions I'll have is to get a little bit nerdy about year one to year four, right? Sort of getting to a place where you know you have a million dollars in sales what is that what do you think has has been sort of one the, the one or two or three biggest things for you to get there has it been like email has been really awesome like has it been social media has been really good has it been just optimizing your website for the story and when people get there they're really drawn to it what have you seen from the analytics and data that tell you this is what we did wrong maybe in the beginning and now this is what we're doing right and it's working? Yeah, I'm not sure it was so much doing things wrong in the beginning as opposed to like year one is building supply chain, mm-hmm. learning, testing, yep. you're selling three different products as opposed to 50. So you know, your <laughs> yeah. revenues can really only cap, I don't know how many hunger socks you want to buy, but sure. you know, your revenues can only cap at a certain amount. So I think just that practicality of it, like year one, two, two, three, is just, you're not really at your vision, you're testing a basic concept. It's like a minimal viable yep. product as the lean startup would explain. Yep. So, um, you know, I think year one was just proof of concept, year one or two, and you're not really looking at sales as much as you're looking to people want to buy organic socks that support leading non yep. right. right. And, and right. as you kind of grasp, hey, this concept works, then it's like, how can I, improve this concept. Hey, now I should get better nonprofits, ideally or not better is the wrong word, but larger yeah, sure. or you know, or those that are more recognized yeah. to help the brand grow. Um, 
So I think that one, from respecting from one year to four, is just proof of concept for the first two years. Once you knew the concept was able to work, we were able to invest more into advertising, things like that. Yep. Gift experience, winning out the gold product yep. of the year was really helpful. Um, the second was just retail. I think um, having a, a foundational business model that doesn't depend on spending money to make money was really helpful mm. because you're, I think, as you mentioned, a lot of people feel like they can just start their own e-commerce business and that's always the dream, but you are going to fail and you're probably, not all your ads are going to have huge ROIs when you launch an e-commerce business, especially in every year. Uh, if you're not reinventing your content and, you know, creating something unique, the market's just going to keep diluting oh, yeah. more and more as more people enter. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I think uh, just just being uh, more consistent with the right demographic of eco-friendly stores, sustainable stores, meeting those people who love our brand and mission, and empowering them with the right resources, displays, materials, photography that they need to be successful, it's a lot of the weight off. How has, you know, from going from a, you know online business strictly and then retail, right? Like a lot of people think retail is kind of, you know, dying's a bad word, I think just the big, big, big box stores have issues, but the smaller stores, more niche, probably can do pretty well. Do you see, I mean, has retail, physical retail been good for you guys? Yeah, you know, it's funny because that's definitely my perception as well, but the more I've gone into it, the more I've traveled around the country and world, there's, there's always places and there's always like certain um, experience type retail yeah. that I think the market's moving towards like, you might, aquariums, museums, places like this that are more um, an experience. Yeah. I don't see it going anywhere. I feel like people need that, you yeah. know, frankly, just from a, and now I feel like it's coming back. I feel like to some extent people are enjoying the experience of going to small stores and stuff like that because you can only shop on Amazon so much yep. before you're like, hey, I need to probably go to the mall, get out of my house. Get a little bit well, especially air. if you can, you know, go to a shop and they have a bar there, right? You yeah. get coffee, you get a cocktail. Yeah, it's more <laughs> common you see stuff like that. Right? Yeah, which is, that makes sense though, right? Yeah. I mean, because people are going to go out and drink and eat anyway. But if you can get, if you can meet them where they're already going and, you know, have a shop there, then that makes total sense. And then taking it up another level, if it's products that actually have a story, yeah. right? And like, there's conscious step socks here you can buy, or there's like listed headphones, or there's now it's like people are discovering like this whole new world, you know, just as they're just going out to have a drink that they normally would. That's the kind of vision I see for retail, especially yeah. in the social impact space, is that when you can go shop and like read stories, that's really interesting. Then that becomes like experience, you know, very much an experience. Yeah. So that and that's that's how I think you you succeed in a physical space, you know. Yeah, in the you future. work towards that. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's always a way, but you'll get that. Yeah, it feels like it's that versus Amazon these days. <laughs> it's just one of the two. I, I think uh, a lot of the typical places that we probably grew up going to, like a lot of the department stores, places like that. Yeah, and it's kind of beautiful because it allows the small people to have their their time. You know, allows the smaller Absolutely. brands, yeah. the other people. And, uh, you know, money's getting spread across a lot nicer, I think, for the economy as opposed to, you know, everyone going to Nordstrom, Macy's, and a lot of these places we saw in the 90s that were just what you affiliated with shopping. Yeah, but ironically, they were in the best spot to actually do this, though, to make that change, right? And they just kind of, it was like, like the, the blockbuster model. Like. It's the same thing with groceries, right? Because <laughs> you, you think about, like, Stop and Shop or someone that didn't exist, and then Whole Foods comes, 
and you're like, well, I want organic, fresh, you know, yeah. unique items, things that probably don't, I don't want diet Pepsi, I'd rather diet organic cola, yeah. you know, yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that, um, really, it's just where the market's going, and it's beautiful, right, it's, yeah. you kind of want to just enjoy the trend, and as opposed to, uh, not believing retail works, it's like, make, make something that does work, right, make an experience. Yeah, it's just different, it's yeah, just, just, like, every, it's just, it's just different, retail can just yeah. be different, you know, but the idea of going and, you know, buying something is, is, is in our American DNA, right, like, 70% of our economy is consumerism, right, like, that part won't go away, <laughs> it just is what it is, so if you mature and adapt the way people do that, um, and what people buy, I mean, look, that's 70%. If we can get 30% of that to be socially conscious shopping, that's a massive, massive shift in trillion dollars. That's a, that's a whole different economy, and then things will start to, to change, right? Impact will be made at that scale, yeah. you know? So... Yeah, so I think hopefully that answers it. I think from an analytical standpoint, and just growing over the past four years, getting more comfortable with the concept, being able to invest more resources into a website, advertising and storytelling has really just made people understand the brand. And, you know, often when you go into a retail store and you see a display, you're often not even deciding if I should buy socks, but which cause I should support today when I'm looking at kind of protect elephants, protect sharks, fight hunger, give books. Um, so that's really been good for growth. And, you know, lastly, not analytical related, I think that luck plays a big part in things. Mm. I think one of the things startups, you know, almost need, and it really comes from just showing up over and over again, even on your worst days, is just a little bit of luck, you know, and I think it comes from, there's always going to be days, and I think through the past few years where you lose sight of, you don't even believe in the work you're doing anymore, you have an experience where you'll go to a market, nobody will buy anything, you'll like really feel down on yourself, you might question yourself a bit yeah. more. And then there's other days where you're like on top of the world where Matt Damon or someone is ready to, you know, put on your socks on social media and, yeah. you know, you're like, wow, you know, you, you really do have days. But I think what I've learned is, you know, if you really believe in something, getting that support mechanism and just showing up over and over and over again until you really, really can't anymore um, gives you the opportunity to get lucky. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, that's one of the things where it's like, oh, you got lucky along the way. This person really helped you do this. This person funded you. This person... That, no, like, you got to keep showing up yep. to get that luck, to meet the right person, to network, to do things like that. And, um, yeah, I think that's been a huge part. I think just luck has really, you know, helped yeah. get us here. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's uh, It's been great to see you guys <laughs> grow, man. I mean, it's it's been cool. I, I mean, I remember when, you know, I first did an like, interview with you guys. and Because, I mean, there wasn't many... Sock companies out like conscious sort of sock yeah, companies. Twenty thirteen back in the day. Yeah, I mean it might have been maybe one or two right that really were decent and like had a, had a good was having a good run or, or were doing things really well. Yeah, of course. you know, so it's it's been great to see like the people who who really put everything into it starting to succeed at a really. You people know. like plagiarize an obvious model and exactly like yeah man. It's, it. yeah I mean it's it's great to see like the marketplace reward you know consumers reward the originals essentially right I mean that's <laughs> how I that's how I look at it because you know the industry's not that that old you know so it's it's great to see people who really uh, you know are, are just skyrocketing the 
the idea of this business model and kind of being the, the front runners of it and you know solving all the hard problems so now it's going to be easier for somebody to come in because you guys have already you know been through the ringer of like finding the supply chain creating it getting all the right labels so now when somebody starts something they can just like look at okay well these are all like the things that i need to do to be on this level right yeah, the roadmap great. is created yeah. <laughs> you look at it it's like we've set an expectation where hey if you want to force yourself to donate to charity and produce sustainably we're fair game ready to yeah. compete yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. otherwise you're not really in or we don't consider you real competition because yeah. you're in a different realm with a different vision and goal for your business yeah yeah so it's nice I yeah, really appreciate that Graham likewise it's great having you yeah it's been great man and uh, obviously best of luck going forward and you know hopefully we'll uh Next time I'm, I'm out here in, in New York, we'll do this again and we'll catch up and, and see what's going on.